This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. for Military Podcast. We're going to, you know, get into a couple different topics here, and we have a special guest that's over from the UK, but I did want to mention um, a little bit about ways in which you can support the Mentorship Military effort or Mentorship Military Podcast. One of those is those ways is through our Patreon site. You can go to patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L, and you can support us there by becoming a donor. Uh, Jonathan Lambert is our, our biggest donor there, and I want to give him a shout out. But I, you know, special thanks to all of our donors that are out here helping us uh, do the things that we do each week. Along with that, we're also really appreciative of our sponsors that help us do these on a daily basis. Um, Uncana is one of our sponsors, and we have uh, several others and supporters, key partners and supporters and stuff. If you go out to our partners page, you'll learn more about that. So a big shout out to those individuals, uh, companies and organizations that are helping us each week. And if you'd like to become a sponsor or a key partner, make sure that you reach out to us and we'll let you know how to do that. On this episode is Mike Chadwick. Now, Mike has a background as a British parachute regiment and tactical athlete. And so we're going to get into a, a number of different topics. But first off, I just want to welcome you to the show, Mike. Appreciate you coming on. Hi, mate. Pleasure. So let's get into the the nitty gritty of the the very beginning here. When when you decided to go into the army, I, you know, most of the guys that I've had um, on the podcast in the UK, and I think Scott, you were even in this category, are around 16 years old when when they ended up joining. Were you in that same boat, or were you a little bit older when you decided to go in? Seventeenth uh, birthday, so I um, I left home at sixteen. Arrived week one, day one, Parreg Depot uh, on my seventeenth birthday. Um, big shock to the system. Yeah, I bet. But, um, <laughs> yeah, start as you mean to go on, eh? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, what made you decide to want, uh, go into the uh, the army and not the you're at the Marines or anything like that? Um, I asked my dad. I wanted. I knew I wanted to join the army um, for family reasons. I had to be the one to support my family back then. So I contacted my dad who wasn't around um, and he said, you either go into the Marines or you go into the Paras. And I, uh, I asked him which one, he said the Paras. So I went for it and um, he probably thought I'd fail. I didn't, um, probably came close many times, but I uh, somehow got myself through and that's why I went down that road. So some of the people over here in the U.S. are going to be asking, okay, what's what's a pair? Is it very much, you know, for us, the Airborne, 82nd Airborne is a unit that comes to yeah. mind. And you have a very, that's a, it's a very similar situation to what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, very unique bunch of people. Um, 
and you know they, they come from all different walks of life or from all different backgrounds majority are from broken backgrounds uh, same as the rest of the infantry I mean but what brings us together is just how hideous the training is um, and it is hard and there's a reason for that I mean it makes makes the best the best people um, and then you know whoever's left and right of you can do the job just as well as you and that gives you a massive confidence boost going into any sort of walk of life. So take us down a path of what that's like then. What What, what is that training in, like? In depot? Uh, yeah. Well, I, as as uh, I am still serving, so I don't want to get anyone into trouble, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just, it's just relentless, mate. It's just absolutely hideous. From week one, day one, all the way to the end, you earn everything, every, every little inch you earn. Um, you know, you don't get given anything. Uh, and people are dropping like flies left, right and centre. People double my age are dropping like fl- flies left, right and centre. And it's, um, you know, it takes a lot to just hold on. And you do, you hold on for dear life. And that's what it's all about. And that's what I teach people now. It's about surviving, it's about staying injury free and surviving. So how long was the uh, the whole para training and stuff? I mean, is it uh, sort of like a basic training like we go through here in the States and then you go into the paratrooper aspect of it? That's Or are we talking like the, I think your Marines are, you know, what is it, two years or something as long as the, the, the whole training period? Um, I don't it's not it's not quite that long. I mean, it's 28 weeks basic training, then it's four weeks parachute training, and then you're on... It's almost like a probation period where you're still in training. Um, it's classes like phase three almost for six months when you get into depot, then that, that uh, out of depot, sorry, in that battalion. And that just gives you a, uh, you know, you go through all your training. I mean, you've just survived in depot. You don't, <laughs> what you learn is, is quite small because you're just holding on for dear life, especially me. And, uh, and then when you get to battalion, you start losing the, use, utilizing and learning the tricks of the trade. Yeah. So, Zach, this sounds very much like just a, a full-blown-on selection. You know, after our basic training, you decide you want to go through an assessment type of program, like going through um, 18 X-Ray or something like that. You know, this is it's a very similar-sounding program, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. I'm intrigued on the last part. You said that the last six months there. Is that – are you still losing guys during that last six months, or how does that look? No, so that's when you're in battalion then. So you've done your jumps. Um, you are officially a paratrooper um, and then you basically get put into a team of some sort so whether that's um, you know you're, everyone starts out with a rifleman but slowly but surely you go down the mortars route um, same as what you probably yourselves do over there heavy weapons carders signals carders then there's, there's different skills and drills that we learn in depot to what we actually do in real life um, and there's people then teaching you of real life situations and and it's a uh, so no, you don't lose anyone. The answer to your question, mate. But it's um, but it's still a steep learning curve. Is that a new thing, Mike? Is is that a recent introduction? No, that uh, that as far as long back as I know, that's that's for every unit. That as well. The first six months of you in battalion or squadron life is uh, is still training. You wow. shouldn't officially be allowed to deploy. I know people do. Yeah, I went on my my first posting out of um, out of training was Northern Ireland uh, to Antrim. Yeah. So, um, and I I can't remember it having a, a phase three aspect on it. Um, yeah. So, um, but it 
it makes sense. It makes sense to do yeah. that. So that's why I wonder whether it was a new thing and they brought it in. Scott, you weren't yeah, part of the British Parachute Regiment, were you? No, no, I was Royal Engineer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he... I paid, I paid attention in school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, He's Mike. You can, you, can, you can take a stab at him. It's all right, Mike. All right, there's plenty of time. How long have I got? 40 minutes? <laughs> we, have a, we have a bit of banter on uh, social media, so... Uh, I bet. So um, once you go through the training, like you said, for the first period of time, once you arrive at the unit, that you're also going through basic kind of level training. So your superiors are basically trying to get you up to the unit standard, ready to be deployed, ready to be a part of the team. You know, so my assumption is, though, like, say, some of the special operations here in the U.S., Rangers, Special Forces, you have to still earn it every day. It's not. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. I kind of figured that. Yeah, from everything, from the design of your tattoos to what kind of kit you can carry to what's on your helmet and badges you wear and stuff, every single thing is earned. And, it, and you know, when that, and it creates this philosophy that you always want more. There's always more and you're always striving for that little bit more and you're looking for someone who's, you know, a couple of months ahead of you and you want more, you want what he's got. Um, and I think that's what makes us different. It's, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work, but... It's worth it. Well, you have a bunch of individuals on your left and right that have a very similar mindset. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I mean not. I mean I've, I've. I'm sure you've seen some of the posts. A bunch of individuals doesn't make a team. Teamwork then has to come from different ways um, and the different philosophies that we that, that we teach and I'm going through now with some of the projects that I'm doing to create new paratroopers in this day and age. Um, but yes, a group of very very special individuals. Um, you know, and, and I'm in resettlement at the home at the moment, but I'll uh, I'll miss those boys a lot. So, what happens then if somebody wants to go to the next level? Would it be then going off to SAS? Is that the next step? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so SAS is the next step. I mean, when you pass out a depot, um, you go to one of the three battalions. One of them being SFSG, so you're working with uh, the blades quite a lot, um, and then obviously you can go to two and three para, which the majority of people are going to now. Everyone's going to now. I think it might go back to. Um, but yeah, the next step is um, Hereford Uphill, so that's that's where everyone goes to. So if somebody's wanting to learn more about the British Parachute Regiment, what would you say is your primary mission objective of that unit as it compares to, say, regular infantry? It's, I mean, it's, it's just a breed of men. The first into every battle they have been since uh, World War Two. They've, they've stepped foot on every single operation that's gone on. The, some of the stuff the boys are doing now is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, when there's, I've, well, I read an article yesterday about there's potential that two and three power are going as part of SFSG as well pretty, pretty soon. So that's, uh, that's always been the, the, the talk, but I think it's finally happening now. Yeah, so SFG, help us out. What is that? Special Forces Support Group. Um, okay. I can't rem- can't remember the exact date, but Hereford were um, in need of a battalion, and one pirate stood up and they they went and supported them, and it it stuck, um, and they ever since the boys from one pirate they just support Special Forces. Scott, do you ever do any work with the para regiment or anything, or you know, in your um, line of work or my the squadron I served in as part of EOD um, four nine squadron had. Um, uh, a parachute troop, uh, as well as uh, a marine troop uh, and an air assault troop. So we we used to 
do lots of different things. I wasn't badged either uh, para or um, commando trained. Um, but as with most of the British Army, when you've only got one squadron's worth of guys, it's, it's spread pretty thin. So um, people used to go off and do different things with, with different people regularly. Um, but the, the, the paras, they're certainly a good bunch of guys to work with and uh, uh, professional out in the field is uh, is is kind of their key element to it, I guess, Mike. And, you know, the, the, the guys take that really, really personally. And, you know, there's a lot of banter that goes with it. Um, but you you know you're in uh, you're in good company if you're uh, you're not with the Power Ridge. So, Mike, as you're going through and doing some of the training of these young guys, what are the things that you're starting to to see out there that causes concern? I mean, I know from our side in America, we're starting to notice that a lot of the young people just don't have um, the bone density that they had years ago, primarily because they don't get out and do the things that kids did. 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, they're not quite as active. Are you finding the same thing is happening for those individuals that you're training that are, are joining as part of the British Parachute Regiment? Yeah, so I, um, I there's one of the projects that I do at the moment, um, if I can put it into perspective, I'm like a glorified PE teacher at the Army Foundation College. Um, and one of the projects I've come up with there is something called Op Achilles. I didn't name it. I don't like the name, but that's what I ran with. Um, and I basically got asked to bridge the gap between junior entry and standard entry. So if you are 16, 15, 16, 17, you would go to the Army Foundation College for one year, pass that, and then you would go to Parareds Depot when you're strong enough. Um, the pass rate was at 20.4%. Um, I got asked to rectify that because we're going to shut it down. And 20.4%. Yeah, so it's not it's not good for money. Um, no. Just consider it as a business. It's, uh, <laughs> someone's not happy. No. Um, so I got asked to bridge that gap. Uh, my primary concern is exactly what you just said. The kids don't move the way they used to anymore. Um, so I turned up and first thing I did was just look at some of the training, look at the way people move, um, just do a very quick needs analysis. And my first concern was not the kids. It was the way they were being instructed. Hmm. So prehistorically, people at the Army Foundation College taught people the same as what they taught adults. That's the way they did physical development. Then someone came along and said, no, now we need to treat them like kids and we do this. But then the standards went dramatically lower. And uh, that, again, is wrong. You walk around the Army Foundation College, these 16-year-old kids from all walks of life, again, every adult has probably failed them in their life. Um, some of them want to be there for queen and country. But the majority of people, are like myself, come from rough backgrounds, broken homes, rough areas. They didn't do well at school. I joined the engineers. They, they, <laughs> got, they, the you know what I mean? so they, uh, they turn up and and that's not right to me. Some of them have got, they look like a 30-year-old bloke. Some yeah. of them look like they're 12. So the way I went along, uh, uh, the way I went around it was we no longer looked at them chronologically. We looked at them biologically. We took maturational status, and which is broken up into three parts, pre-puberty, puberty, and post-puberty. During those maturational status, there are windows of opportunity that we can coach these kids. And if you get it right, the reward is incredible. Hmm. Fortunately, I found that window of opportunity. We um, started back, straight back to basics. We were doing hypertrophy. Testosterone levels were through the roof, so we were doing, getting them big, getting them strong, 
and making them survive. And that was spread out, uh, first of all, at Opercules, where I doubled the pass rate for the parachute regiment. There's also, um, those of you who know, pass rate for P Company was up, at, those who have been through any of my projects, up at 88.5%, which is ridiculously wow. high. Yeah. Um, for the fitness test and the paras. And these kids are 16 as well. Um, and then that then spread out to the whole of the army now for 16-year-olds. Um, you know, pass rates have gone up. Musculoskeletal injuries have come down significantly. But all I'm doing is the basics really, really well. It's nothing special. There's nothing that I've come up and invented. I've taken loads of scientific rationale, loads of doctors' opinions, collated it all together, and just created a very simple program looking into windows of opportunity and making them strong enough so that the incredible work that they do over in phase two, the boys can survive. And that's all they need to do is survive. So, so over here, you know, you're going to have kids that are joining at the age of 17, 18 years old. I would, I would yeah. venture to say that probably the makeup is very similar to what you were just describing and the principles exactly. are, still yeah. And, and so this, the principles are still going to be the same. So maybe this is a good time to segue into that as far, far as the four basic training principles that you discovered and yeah. why are those so important? Because, you know, we were talking prior to the show that so many of us on this show get contacted by individuals saying, hey, I want to go into, you know, special operations and I want to do this or I want to do that. And so what do I need to do to prepare? So you're getting ready to share, you know, a bit of that information of how they can plan and train for that. Of course, it doesn't perhaps help you with the mental aspect of it, which is a big part of it. But I think from a physical standpoint, to improve your performance, there's a real, real good thing here that people can take away. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the four principles that you you are talking about there was a post that I did about doing the basics excellent, excellently. Um, specificity, um, variation, overload, and reversibility. I I haven't made them up. They're you know they're genuine strength characteristics that make people stronger. Um, and manipulating any of those will have a good effect. Um, when it goes wrong, reversibility is all about. But in terms of people preparing for basic training and the rigors of basic training, to enhance, to, uh, to enhance resilience and optimize human performance, it's just about getting strong. It's about getting those muscles and tendons and everything based around those joints as strong as you possibly can so that you can just survive. So you have a good basic foundation of strength. Everything else is a derivative of strength. You have that the instructors and the coaches, and I'm now one of the coaches who coach the coaches, we're making them, you know, that th this is now, the I mean, the stuff at Harrogate is world-class. It's the same stuff as what you're getting at, um, you know, acad uh, academy football clubs. Um, you know, so it's incredible. But one thing you need to do is just get strong as possible. And another, and I mentioned it the other day, is, is uh, someone asked me for the one piece of advice they'd get if they, before they go to basic training. And this was a British one. And it was get on your feet. How long mm. have you ever been stood up for? Mm -hmm. When you first arrive, week one, day one, you are on your feet from, from the first minute to the last minute. Right. Have you ever stood up for that long? Stand up, see if you can actually do it. Then add load. Then slam it in and drill. Then run to the clothing store. Then run to the scoff house. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're on your feet all day. Yeah. And people don't realize that. They sit down and Google what it's like to be a soldier. Right. It's true. Walk. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And and uh, they don't find the answers in a lot of cases. They get some really bad information and they end up getting injured because of it. So that was, 
That was me. Yeah, was it? Okay, so there you so go. I didn't get I didn't get injured, but the information from my dad was go and join the Paris. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, didn't tell me no advice. Happen, no. <laughs> yeah, so you walked right into it head first. <clears throat> so, what are some of the things then that you learned that people can do to prepare then? So, other than just standing up, walking around, carrying your load. I mean, that sounds very simple, but there's got to be a little bit more to it. And like you said, yeah. there's it depending upon your age, and we're finding individuals that are not just, you know, 17, 18 year olds. In some cases, they're 25, 30, you know, years old that are also now wanting to go into the fight, or that's what they think. Yeah. I mean, two of the two highlighted points that I brought through all of my training packages is trunk stability and glute activation. Strong glutes, strong core. And everything else is, you know, an attachment to that. So I didn't have long of off Achilles. Um, so the first thing I went and seen the best physios, I went and seen the best doctors, and we sat down, we talked, and we, we came up with that we need to make the glutes as strong as possible, and we need to make the trunk as stable as possible. So there's loads of variations that people can do inside the trunk stability and glute activation, getting those key and early, and I do that prior to every single session that I do. And mm. then it's about hypertrophy, making the muscles bigger, and strength training. And the percentages that you work in have to be individualized to the person. That is something that I am doing at the moment. And one of the reasons why I'm in resettlement at the moment is about individualizing training. And I'm running away with that at the moment. Yeah. The army over here has created a new uh, physical training test. That's really about some of the things that a, a soldier does on a daily basis, or at least will face in a combat situation, you know, having yeah. to drag somebody, having to lift somebody up, having to throw them, you know, over, you know, a, a wall or something of that nature. So there's certain different types of aspects that they've incorporated into this physical training test. Um, you know, so it's, it's now new. Uh, we haven't got a great body of work other than those that were part of the, the testing environment. But Zach, I'm curious to hear your opinion now that you're listening to this, what you went through and your training and what you currently do and how that might vary. So I think that, first of all, I'm, I'm super intrigued by what they're doing over there. And I have a million questions that I'll, I'll just table for later. But I, I like the idea that they've got some, some sort of changes to the individuals, especially around the puberty timeline. I think that's phenomenal work. Um, what it was for me in the army coming in early, it's just all about running pushups and sit-ups. That's, that's how it's yep. been for decades in the army coming in. And I think it's just a, a matter of time before people started that, that evolution of science backed physical fitness, things that actually make sense in terms of calisthenics and your, how your body operates and nutrition. So what we're seeing now from the United States army is that, Hey, we, we need to change the PT test because running and jumping and pull-ups and sit-ups is not it. That's not everything. So I think that I'm super excited to see that the, the PT test has evolved and that we're sort of like getting on brand with this because for us, for years going through the special forces course, we only did a few things. I mean, we, we stayed fit on our own, but it was about running. It was about rucking and it was push-ups and sit-ups. And there's a ton of guys who would have been green berets, but they didn't do good enough push-ups or sit-ups. So uh, the idea of having a holistic approach is, is fascinating. I think it's groundbreaking what you're doing over there, Mike. Thank you, mate. I mean, the single most dangerous mistake in coaching is the arrogance to not evolve, isn't it? And we have to be key, clear and key to evolve at the right time. Yeah, no doubt about it. But the fact that you've actually thought about 
all the aspects of what you just laid out is so key, you know, because there's injuries and stuff, like I mentioned before, that can happen so quickly if you didn't get it right. If you don't get it right, then you're going to have this whole training regiment that you're going to end up seeing a higher pass or a higher failure rate, or you're going to have a lot more injury prone individuals later on. I mean, you think about the, the athletes here, um, you know, that play various sports here within America, they really started getting more into the, the physical training program and realizing that if they didn't get it right for their specific sport, then that means while the games are being played at some point, certain injuries are going to start occurring and you should be able to point directly back to the training cycle to what they did to prepare that ligament, that muscle to be able to withstand the types of pressure, moves, adjustments, and everything else that individual had to make through the game. Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the science that you ended up doing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, it's a matter of life and death. Um, you know, we're not here messing about. I mean, the worst thing that can happen in sport is you get injured and you sit out for, for a while. Yeah. If you're not strong enough, you're not fit enough, you're not quick enough in our job, in our line of work, people die. And that's, so when I use the term athlete, I use that wholeheartedly. The tactical athlete is a real thing. Um, you know, it's a very, very serious profession. Yeah. So have you been able to go to any additional um, civilian schools or anything like that to be able to, to help you even get better prepared or uh, look at new ways and new opportunities now that you've started this new regiment of, of physical uh, training? Yeah. So I, um, I studied a full-time degree. Um, I lied to the uni, told them I didn't have the job. I didn't tell the army. And I basically went to, signed up to a uni and spent three years in a uni. Never stepped foot in it, but I uh, came away with a degree. And, um, and ever since then, I've just studied and studied. I, uh, I, I fell across a physical training um, instruction course. And, you know, and I haven't looked back since. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to run away with that now and, and, and fight and fight for what for what's right in physical training because there are a few dinosaurs still in the military um, and I'm sure it's the same over there with you boys that people are trying you know the famous saying we've always done it this way oh yeah yeah it's, uh, big time so, you know it, it's difficult it is difficult and when this young kid's coming in with the, these new ideas you know I don't become an asset um, anymore very quickly become a threat yeah. Uh, yeah you know I, I, I think that that's really profound because generation to generation we sort of look back as the younger people as being different and, and seeing that in a negative context and i think that you guys are, are specifically it's intriguing to me that you saw that people were failing this as at a young age and you pivoted the landscape to allow them to to be proactive because frankly they've got different skills they may not run and been as active as, as older generations but there's other things in their mind yeah. there's other things in their abilities so I think that that's something that we're going to start seeing more often in the future, not only from, from the militaries, but anything. I think that younger generations, as opposed to having sort of a callous mindset of them not being the same place that we've been, is start to evolve yeah. some things so that we can portray their assets and it's a different landscape in, in combat in general. So I'm proud to hear that you guys are doing that. I think the, the, the mindset change um, is different now. And you used a phrase earlier, Mike, where you said it doesn't make good business sense you know where, where the pass rate was, was down at just over 20 percent and, and that's a great way to look at it because previously in in like my generation i joined in 96 it 
it wasn't thought of like that. They would have just kept turning people over and injuring them, binning them off, and just turning them over until they eventually got to the number of um, the requirement signing up every year. But that's not the right way to do it, and it just doesn't. You know, it takes a lot of resource, a lot of asset to just keep pumping through those numbers. So it's it's great to see that the the military has evolved and is now thinking of well, actually, let's try and get the least number of people through training because the pass rate is so high that they're all coming in, passing uh, and going on to make competent soldiers because their bodies are set up for the training that's going to come on in phase two and phase three. So it's great to see that they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, we won't see the fruits of the labour for 10, 15 years. I mean, one of my opening, I, I, I go around doing a lot of public speaking on this type of stuff now around the country. And one of my, you know, points I always make is the fact that the pass rate has gone up significantly um, you know it's more than doubled in the powers it's near 100% for everyone else you know peak company pass rates and all that type of stuff but that's not the most significant thing I can get I can get people to pass it what we want is someone to have a career for the next 20 22 24 years minimum and injury minimum injury so having that foundation is the only way that's going to happen but I think we're missing something here. Maybe I'm maybe I'm all messed up here. But so in basic training, we have a very regimented routine, right? We have the physical side of it. We have you know the the training and schools type of you know stuff that you end up going through. You sleep in similar quarters. You're you're in a certain type of mindset. But there's a piece here that we're kind of not talking about, and that's the diet. Because, you know, when they're in that training environment, they go to the same mess hall, the same dining facility or whatever you want to call it. They eat similar food groups that, you know, the the drill instructors and the individuals who are instructing them require them to eat certain food groups and those types of things and make sure that they're getting a healthy diet along with it. When we get out of that training cycle and we're out on our own and we're trying to sustain our, you know, our capabilities, um, we focus less as a unit in most cases, on the diet of our individuals, but we still require a certain level of physical training. So if they're not getting good diet, they're not getting good rest and sleep, then, of course, you're going to be more injury prone. Or you're not going to build muscle mass. Well, muscles are metabolically hungry. So when I came up with Op Achilles, um, one of the first things I went to and I said, well, this can't go any further unless we get an extra meal. Um, the Marines do it really, really well. The Marines have, have got it nailed down. They have um, the extra meal, um, and the way they do the diet is really good. And they have understood at an early age about how more calories in, you know, we can do more work. Um, well, you already have like so, seven meals, right? Because you have like four tea times throughout the day. Three. Oh, so, sorry. I was just joking. Paris- <laughs> <laughs> so you- yeah. By the way, the Paris now are four. Um but it's funny, I thought you was going to mention something else in terms of the one thing we're missing and not talking about is psychology. And we spend a lot of time talking about the physiological differences that we've made to improve pass rates. My, the key thing that has got those people to pass P company is very, very simple. It's not about the physiological training program. It's not about the psychological stuff I do on the side of it about you know, mental resilience and getting people to move in a certain way and making it intrinsically motivating as opposed to extrinsically. I got them to eat together. I got them to go and sit together as a team and eat together every night, every day. Because when they first turn up to depot, they don't know each other. The first time they meet is week one, day one depot. And that's a tough place to be at. For a 16, 17 year old, it is definitely. 
So every day throughout their training at the Army Foundation College, they eat together with the extra meal that we got for it. No phones. Wow. You don't leave the table to the last man's eating and you get to know each other. And the key to that is, is that when you get on, pick up that log and stretcher, that man to your left and right who previously would drop it because he doesn't care who you are, he doesn't know you, he has to think twice. He understands that if he drops that weight, his friend to his left or right is taking 100% of that load. And that load still has to go from A to B. And that's what the key is. Hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, that most people tell you that if you're going to work on your physical side, you know, and you're wanting to build mass or you're wanting to just get healthy, um, you know, using lifting weights and everything, the rest and the diet are probably more important than actually the training. People, I've seen so many times too that people will actually not eat because they'll think they want to lose weight. So what they'll do is they'll go out and not eat, yeah. and then their muscles, because they want to eat good quality, will go and start eating more muscles instead of eating the fat. Because nobody likes the fat, including your muscle group. You know, if you're trying to grow them, they don't want to eat the fat in your body either. So you know, you've got to make sure that you feed it properly with the right amount of protein. You know, of course, yeah, yeah, and and I don't think people understand that because I've I even had family members that were saying I just don't understand it. You know, I'm not eating the same. I'm actually eating better, I thought. And when I ask them, you know, they're skipping meals or they're eating smaller portions, but yet it it doesn't help them if they're working out at the same time frame. They get sluggish. They get tired. They don't realize they're not feeding the muscle group or they're not resting um, on top of that. Yeah, I mean, going back into a training perspective, though. People are eating to perform. They're eating to get calories in because they're tired. There's no time to rest. You don't get any rest. You rest post-depot. Um, and that's so that I've, I've, I'm trying to get as many calories as I possibly can into these kids because they're, they're burning, you know, through calories like there's no tomorrow at that age. And that's what they do as adolescents. Um, so we need more and more calories because they end up leaving depot. And this, this, well, some of the pictures of me leaving depot was ridiculous. I don't even know how I stood up. Wow. What are some of the things that you've taken away that you can pass on to somebody else from all the stuff that you're noticing right now? What's some of the best words of advice if you could give them to the people who are listening about how to get prepared or how to sustain or get better at what you're currently doing? And one of the things I've heard often is that if you're wanting to improve your current um, cycle of what you're doing from a physical side of it, try to shock your system every once in a while by doing something different. Don't get too much into a routine. So I'm curious to know what you're, you know, you're, you're thinking as far as how they can first initially set it up and then how to maintain that so that, you know, it's something that you continually want to do. Yeah. I mean, so going back to one of the principles in terms of overload is you constantly do need to upscale and shock the system in order to create a stimulus. And if you do the most mundane basic drills that you're comfortable with and you go into the gym every single day and you do 10 reps, three sets of the same muscle groups time and time again, you will do what's known as accommodation. You will accommodate the load. It will end up becoming a part of you and it's just one of those things, the same as the way we get up and walk to brush our teeth in the morning. It's, it, you accommodate that load. That doesn't take anything off you. We're used to doing that. It's the same when you go to the gym. You have to overload, but you have to overload in an individual setting. Um, so, you know, majority of people who request, um, training programs from me through Instagram, um, and I receive, you know, hundreds a month, um, 
everyone's doing the same thing. Oh, but my personal trainer makes me do this. Or what, at what weight? You know, what's, how is that going to affect the next session? How's your previous session affecting this session? How many reps? How many sets? Eccentrically, concentrically. What is that doing to your body? And no one really knows. Um, they're just guessing. And that is one of the things I'm running away is stop guessing. Think about what you want to do. Think about where you want to go and train accordingly for that. Okay? So if you want to join the parachute regiment, get strong and be ready to survive. You know, if you want to join the engineers, you will need upper body strength. I know exactly you need a good core, you need upper body strength because you're going to be bridging. Am I right? Am I right in saying that? Is that, is that something that you'll be doing? Yeah, absolutely. I remember being 17 year old and, and building a Bailey bridge and a Bailey yeah. panel is about 620 pounds. Six, six, yeah. six lads lifting that at 17 year old. I was probably a hundred pound soaking wet, you know, <laughs> body weight and it's, you're lifting the equivalent of your own body weight between six of you and, and manipulating it into place when someone's got to put a pin in it. It's, it's tough yeah. work. It's tough work. Of course, yeah. So, so the way that you rotate with that mm. is another key exercise and the way that you would uh, maybe lift that above shoulder height, so shoulder press would be something interesting. So it's basically looking at the fundamentals of the task at hand and train accordingly for that. So everything I do, whether it's for training people to go to depot or training people with an operational sense or certain courses that we have in Britain. Everything is specific to them. It's individualized to that person and that person only. It's got to be bespoke. Hmm. Do you do, do you tailor that in with functional fitness as it's called these days, Mike, now rather than your standard um, gym equipment as it's been for the last 50 years, you know, yeah. when equipment started coming in as opposed to free weights? Do you tailor that more towards functional type fitness um, exercises as opposed to the, the standard stuff? Yeah, I mean, if, in a tactical athlete sense, which, which I'm sure we're talking about now, mm. their job role is functional. So they will have to train in that way. However, they have to earn the right to do so. These, you know, CrossFit, um, the, I can't remember what the British one that they've got in the military at the moment, um, you know, they're, they're um, they're incredible. They really are, but you have to earn the right to do them. They're, they're really good tools for getting people moving and getting people moving with friends. And, and you know, it's anything other than sedentary is better, but you have to earn the right. You get that wrong and it can be disastrous. As a non-commissioned officer within the British Army, is there something that you try to teach these guys, you know, on a daily basis of what they need to do? Not just the young guys. I'm talking about if you were a senior leader out there within the British Army or the American Army or Australian Army or whatever branch of the military you happen to be in yeah. that you're listening to this. And you're you're thinking about, okay, well, I'm supposed to be leading physical training on a weekly basis to prepare them for a certain situation. And what I'm hearing here is there's some things I need to start bearing in mind. What what are the, some of the things that they can learn from you, not just from a training standpoint for initial entry, but an ongoing um, maintenance that they can then better themselves or come up with new ideas? I mean, is there is there something that you found that um, in the training cycle that they can do? I mean, everyone's a leader of some sort, aren't they? So, I mean, if you have an idea, and I say this to my lads, um, and girls who I, who I coach at the moment, um, who then go on to coach, you know, the, well, I think there's 1,800 people at AFC at the moment. Um, if you're going to say something, be willing to back it up. And if you're going to do something, you better be going in there wholeheartedly. 
and everything you possibly do because you're going to inspire someone to do the same. And whether you like it or not, people are going to follow you. So it better be right and you better know it inside out and it better be correct. And that is what I tell my, and I get my lads and girls to do briefs to me all the time. And every, just before they go on, I say, if you are going to say something in there, you better be willing to back it up. And that's what I go with. Um, I've had a couple of, you know, officers and contact me quite, quite often. I've done a few speeches as well where, you know, we talk about leadership and coaching and I do, I just go down that, down that path. Um, and especially if you're in a leadership position, I mean, go back to the strength conditioning. You need to be good to go because you not only need to be physically strong, you need to be psychologically strong as well because if you're not physically fit, then you can't make decisions at the right time. And if you're not physically fit, you're not going to get on point at the right time. But when you get there, you need to be cognitively agile straight away. And that comes again with being the fittest on the park. How can people get a hold of you if they're listening to this and they, they want to know more about how to get specialized training for what they're going through? They just yeah. have a question or something like that. I know you're out on Instagram, but are there other ways in which they can reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm uh, mainly just on Instagram at Coach Mike Chadwick. Um, I am entering the Twitter scene, which seems to be a very British military-heavy scene at the moment. I don't really want to get involved in that. Um I think there's a Facebook account out there as well somewhere, but it's mainly on Instagram with Coach Matt Chadwick. Um, I, I literally speak about what I'm thinking about that day. Um, you can see some of my training methodologies. Um, I, I talk to um, a lot of people about training all day, every day, and it's all physically, psychologically, psychosocially um, current, and it's all taken with science and best practice. Yeah, it's good stuff. Actually, it's not just your, you know, your typical stuff of seeing a guy in the gym and stuff like that, because you're really applying and the mentoring that you're giving is really about applying those things to your daily life, your daily routine as a British para. Trying to, mate. Trying to. I think you do a really good job. I appreciate you coming on the show, Mike, and sharing your uh, information with us. I hope some people will go out there and at least follow follow your account and gain some valuable information because I think what you're doing is really like out there at the tip of the spear in terms of understanding the body, um, the changes, of course, that we're going through, not only as a young society that's coming into the military, but also just how we need to evolve based on the battlefield. So I appreciate all of the stuff that you're sharing as a tactical athlete. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm leaving the army very, very soon. I'm in the settlement and there's actually a lot of noise from your neck of the woods who's asking questions about my, um, my intellectual property at the moment. So um, I, could, I could be over there very, very soon. It's been a pleasure.